Hello and welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod, episode 170. It's a bumper show. No need for a co-host this week. Um, we've got all the reaction from that huge announcement this week in Women's Rugby. The British and Irish Lions will be touring with the women's side in 2027. I was there at the launch and I caught up with Ben Calverley, the CEO, to Yian Evans, the chairman, Megan Gaffney, of course, former Scotland International, she's in the steering committee, and Neve Briggs, the wonderful Neve Briggs, Irish legend, she's part of that steering committee as well. Those four, if that wasn't enough, the PWR is continuing some real notable performances and uh, results over the weekend. We're catching up with Cleaner Maloney later on in the pod. But first, let's get to that Lions announcement. So earlier in the week, the creation of the Lions women's team was confirmed. Inaugural Lions women's tour to New Zealand in September of 2027. The tour to feature three test matches against the Black Ferns. And we're suspecting a warm game probably against France as well. The British and Lions also unveiled principal partners for the Lions women's team and series Royal London and Howden. Royal London announced a funding partnership of the Lions women's team that will also be the front of the jersey sponsor for the official Lions women's team jersey. Howden confirmed a series title partner of the Howden British and Irish Lions women's series. The Royal London partnerships, also worth saying, are investing in the player development in each of the British and Irish Lions constitution unions through the delivery of a special elite players pathway funding grant. The grants will support the elite women's players and coach pathways in Scotland, Wales, Ireland and England to help unions develop more players and coaches capable of being selected for the inaugural Lions Women's Tour. In addition, Royal London will be investing in women's and girls' grassroots rugby across the UK and Ireland in the run-up to the tour. There's plenty of opinion out there before the announcement and since the announcement, but I wanted to hear the announcement and hear what the, the guys had to say on the day. So enough from me. Let's hear most importantly, of course, from a player's perspective. There's been a steering committee, a couple of years, a feasibility study, been fairly rigorous by all accounts. Part of the steering committee, uh, former Scotland scrum half Megan Gaffney and the legendary Neve Briggs, former Ireland international. Now, of course, went into her coaching career as well. Let's hear from Neve and from Megan. Pinch me moments today. I think I'm feeling off the energy within the room. I think it's class and uh, a lot of hard work has gone in for the last couple of years to get to this point and... Um, to be able to sit here finally and tell people Lions Tour New Zealand 2027 it's just incredibly exciting well as ever you have a massive smile across your face but it's possibly even bigger today yeah. uh, you look great in the red always have done um, with, with that steering committee that, that you've been involved on were you able to be honest because there is a feeling in the women's game that should be grateful for anything that we receive or was this a proper robust process where everybody could give their full full thoughts oh hugely look and to be fair it was the steering group i you almost kind of i had a little bit of imposter syndrome the first day i went in there because i was looking around at all these hugely successful people ian evans who i grew up idolizing from the lines ben carrelly and they were all so amazing so you kind of sit back and you're kind of like taking it in a small bit without fail before every call ended i would say and neve 
have you anything to say, Shauna, whoever it was. So there was a real big open policy, like here's the thing. And a couple of things were non-negotiables for us and they listened. And uh, so, yeah, look, I think it was brilliant. It was really humbling to be a part of it, to be honest. And definitely posture syndrome at the start. I was like, what am I doing here? Heads of Sky and heads of like Canterbury. And it was like all these really high-powered people. But I learned so much about it um, and what it takes to get something like this off the ground. What were your non-negotiables? Can you let us in so on that? So a couple of things. It had to be the best, I think. That was a really important, the pinnacle of, of the lines, the ethos of what I understood it and that DNA was to be, it was, you know, the most amazing thing. Like sitting at home, the players would be sitting at home and come up on Sky Sports ticker about who was making the squad. I was like, it had to be that. Um, and then it just couldn't follow the same format of the men's in terms of the opposition. I think that was really important as well because... Uh, the growth of the game look it's, it's evolving really quickly yep. women's rugby and I know the likes of England have been out there and they've been brilliant in terms of promoting and resourcing and developing but they've been kind of on their own for a very long time every other country in the world is trying to catch up to them at the moment and um, and the home nations are doing that right now and um, so you know the France's the Canada's the investment going into America because of the World Cups, the Australias, they could all be potential opponents for us in that steering group and it uh, didn't have to just follow what the men were doing. So, um, And then what I love as well is, you know, World Rugby buying into the fact that they're looking at this loading now, load management for female players and what that looks like. And the lines are really like dead set on like we're going to follow the guidance of this and and that's going to be really important so small little things like that have been huge and um yeah so it's, it's so exciting to be here and to to probably to kick it all off i'm just pinch me moment genuinely to be sitting in a room with people wearing a badge like this never thought i'd see the day so yeah it's brilliant so if you Straight back into fitness regime, going to start playing again because you want to be on that plane to New Zealand. Uh, no, me and my, uh, my oh, I had a hip replacement last year, so definitely uh, not playing, but uh, on the coaching uh, bandwagon now, so yeah. uh, we'll see where that goes. Oh, there we go. Yeah, under Wayne Smith. Imagine Wayne Smith coaching the Lions against New Zealand. Stop it now, Johnny. Uh, I'm getting overexcited. Just, just one last question because the, the shadow of media people are hanging over us and you've had a, a busy old morning. Is women's rugby ready for the Lions? And in that, I mean, you've got four unions. Are we looking at a... Because some people would say, well, I saw one, one social media post. Oh, well, it would just be England and Jazz Joyce. In that respect, is, is on the playing side, agreed. Lana Skeldon, Cleena Maloney, Neve Jones, Hannah Jones. The, the list goes on. Um, is women's rugby ready for it? Yeah, look, I get your frustration. I was frustrated too when I... No, as in the, the frustration of, yeah, of yeah. that, because I, I, I'm, not, my, I'm going to rephrase that. I get your your question. I understand where it's coming from because I was as frustrated as you are when I saw that the other day. And and here's the thing: like, game is evolving so quickly that two years ago, this was wasn't feasible. Yeah. But now we've got to two years later. Where is the game going to be in three years' time? And when I turn on TNT on a Saturday and I watch a women's premiership match and I see players from Scotland, Wales. Ireland, England, all performing really, really well. Nobody looking out of place. And part of me is like, okay, one team has been incredibly well-funded, well-resourced and have these amazing players. But don't tell me there's not good enough players to make a play tomorrow morning for New Zealand. And that's, that's the stance that I'm sticking with it because uh, when I coach against these players, coach with 
some amazing players but in Ireland then you Celtic Challenge and see all these young players that are coming through that are 1920 where are they going to be in two or three years time with all these resources behind them so yeah no I, I it is ready for it and I think how are we going to know if we don't try and I just think this is an amazing opportunity for us to continue and I think it's the next step for women's rugby and I really really believe that so uh, I'm going to keep my dreaming hat on for right now and, and soak in this amazing day and uh, and no doubt come two, two and a half three years time when we're sitting at home watching Sky Sports and the ticker tape comes up and there's a genuine reaction to I can't believe such and such a person didn't make it because of the level of competition that's in these home nations and that's the that's that's exactly where I think it's going to be safe to say a big thumbs up for the Lions from, from Nick Briggs yes absolutely just going to say this a women's British and Irish Lions team where are your excitement levels today sounds good doesn't it um, you look so- getting red <laughs> and let's be honest, you look, oh, listeners can't, can't, can't see, but you, you look very good in red. I know, that's because I haven't run around yet and got red cheeks. <laughs> um, yes, incredibly excited. It's such a huge moment for women's rugby. The, it just shows the journey that it's been on over the last decade, last few years, and that we're at a point now where there's the appetite and the quality of player that we can pull all four nations together and create this team. I'm just going to dig a little, a little bit further because, A, you've been asked the same questions all day long, but also sort of on the women's side of it, we have a WhatsApp group and a lot of negativity within the women's rugby fraternity, certainly in this country, saying, well, we're just following the men. What, what would be the reply to that one? Um, that No, we're not. Um, this tour has been based every decision has been based on what's best for the women's team and women's rugby there's been a huge amount of study and discussions going on behind the screen uh, behind the scenes for the last few years to find out the best way to do this and although the first the first tour will be in New Zealand where the men have toured before that's not to say that every tour after that will be the same and um, the other thing is going to New Zealand it's an amazing place to play women's rugby so why wouldn't we go there Men's place to play rugby, um, and we've seen that over the last couple of years they hosted the World Cup, the World, uh, the WXV. They can host big competitions. They have crowds that want to watch the women's game, and this is a performance squad. So we need to play against the best teams, and at the moment, New Zealand are the best team. What would you say to if you're choosing a Lions team today? Some would say, "Well." Jazz Joyce might have a shout, but there won't be too many other players from, from other nations. I think if you look purely on the international results, I can understand why that would be a concern. But if you look at the players in these nations individually and their performances, there are players everywhere capable of making this team. If you look at the stats that come out of the Six Nations, the teams of the week, they're not just England players. If you look at the PWR results, who's getting player of the match, who's making team of the week there... It's not just England players. There's players all over. And three and a half years is a long time for more players to push through. We've also got the Celtic Challenge now in Scotland, Wales and Ireland, exposing younger players to a higher level. They might just be at the start of their journey, but getting that exposure now is only going to give them better hope in three years. Is a part of you just slightly gutted that the boots are hanging out? You said to me earlier, just off camera, that glad to have your weekends back, but seeing that emblem there and you're wearing the red you think oh jeez yeah definitely um, as a sort of international athlete you always want to reach the highest level and Lion sounds like it'd be so fun I love going on tour 
So to go on tour to New Zealand for a few weeks, ideal. Um, but whenever you retire, there's going to be something that you don't quite make. There's something else that comes along. And I feel like that's part of the responsibility of being an international athlete is you have to make it better for those that come after you. So I've played for 11 years. And when how it looked when I first started to having players in Scotland on professional contracts is incredible. So I'm content with being part of that generation that helped push the game on, but isn't going to be a line. And, and other players you've been talking to that, that are playing now, presumably you have some, some contact with them and you might have just whispered that this might be happening, who knows? Never. She didn't really. Um, what, what's the excitement levels out there in the, in the playing group that, that are there now? Huge. It's something else to strive for and to be, for an individual player to be considered one of the best in your position out of four nations, that's a huge honour and every single player will want to pull on that red jersey. Let's hear from a couple of the management of the tour, the legend on three line tours himself, Yian Evans, a man I know very well indeed, privileged to say. Uh, ben Calvary, the CEO as well. But first, Yian. Absolutely delighted to be joined by Yian Evans, the chairman of the British and Irish Lions. Now, Yian, you're possibly responsible for quite a lot of this. On my blazer today, I've got a little Lions badge, which was given to me, not by you, because uh, you never put your hand in your pocket. <laughs> but by uh, Rory Underwood on a plane in 1989, that captured my love of the Lions. This is about time this has come around, isn't it, the women's Lions? Indeed, I think it's a momentous uh, milestone. It's a very exciting moment, and it's an opportunity for now for the women's Lions to create their own history, their own moments where, uh, on, a, on a plane, a young girl travelling on a flight across New Zealand, for example is getting given by a badge and drives their love for the game. Um, the Lions is a lighthouse entity. It shines a very powerful light at uh, one time in the, in, the, in the game and it enhances the profile. It's the right thing to do for the Lions and it's the right thing to do for the, uh, for the, for the global women's game as well. The, women, uh, the British and Irish Lions um, is a glorious anachronism. Um, you wouldn't design it on a blank sheet of paper but there's so much love and affection and adoration for it. Players specifically, because ultimately, without the players, there is nothing. They have a desire uh, and inspired to be part of it, much as I was inspired watching the 1971 tour to New Zealand where Barry John, Gerald Davis, JPR Williams, who we sadly lost a couple of weeks ago, um, played. It inspired me. I wanted to be a lion. Why shouldn't new generations of young girls also look to see a, a sea of red jerseys on the field and in, in the stand and want to play a part to create their warm memories as well. It's, um, it's really exciting. With this steering group, which obviously you, you were chairing, uh, and we've, we've heard today um, unions involved, players and what have you, that you've been through the tumble dryer of, of late with the, with the WRU and, and men's rugby is in a in a strange place. Club rugby, we know about the Wasps and the Worcesters and the London Irishes. For someone who's been involved in the women's game for, for a long time, just really conscious that foundations are solid. Can you, can you guarantee those naysayers in the, in the women's rugby media community that, that, these, that, that these foundations are put in properly and it's all been done for the right reason? It's not just a carbon copy of the men's. Now, we went through a, a long process uh, on the feasibility uh, study, which... I was proud enough to have chaired. And we brought a huge cross-section 
uh, heard from earlier on from Neve and Shona, who, who, stood, who sat on that uh, feasibility study and shared their views. What are they for? It was really frank, open, honest, and robust discussions. You had, you had uh, broadcasters, you had sponsors, you had administrators, the various unions got involved. Everyone had that looked at their particular lens. And, um, you know, we, we then went out and looked at declarations of interest who might be interested. I think there are certain tenants that have to remain intact. The Lions is a touring team. It tours. There's a test series. And it has to be about the best players. Yeah. Other than that, the women's Lions plough their own furrow. Now, we happen to be going to New Zealand, which also has a place on the current rota with, with, with the men's. That is a blank sheet of paper. But the Black Ferns are the current world champions. Just held a magnificent Rugby World Cup. Yeah. You know, it was the obvious place to go. It doesn't mean that the future is written for the, uh, for the women's tour. You know, where they go. You go wherever the biggest challenge is. Wherever you go with the demand and appetite is. You know, it's about taking on, it's the best players taking on the best players. That's what the Lions is about. So places like... North America, France, places like this may, may well be... Nothing is ruled out, and as Ben Calvey, the chief exec, mentioned later on, you know, there'll be an oversight sort of committee looked at this, specifically from a, a, a women's perspective and a women's game perspective, saying, right, what's next? Because any self-respecting elite athlete always wants to know, use those two words, what's next, what's around the corner what's going to drive this forward and the women's game is moving at such a lightning quick pace who knows what in three and a half years time when the tour goes to New Zealand for the inaugural women's British and Irish Lions who knows what happens thereafter it's, it's moving at such a pace and the Lions will play a part on that because of its ability to inspire to drive um, exposure and give the platform which the women's game deserves and warrants and yeah. that's the thing because it, the elite game has moved on at such a pace just one, one final question I, I wanted to ask you um, you have a long tradition with, with the Lions you went on 17 tours uh, and picked up 47 caps on the <laughs> long way <laughs> um, can you feel the energy uh, and excitement and how different is that to, to, to the men's and what privilege has that been being involved in it so far uh, listening to Megan Eleanor Shona and Neve. That excitement is palpable, and that's what you need. You need players to be excited at the prospect. They want to be part because they want to make this. They want to make the squad, and then they want to make the test team. That internal competition and that appetite has to be there. That's going to drive the success of this. But it is it is palpable that excitement there because um, if not now, when when the time was right, it's the right thing to do, and will benefit everybody as a consequence. So much to look forward to, so much to be excited about, so much to be proud of it so far. And we're only just starting the journey. Guy, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, one of the highlights of my day is seeing you. So thanks very much. <laughs> Likewise, Johnny. Likewise. <laughs> so I'm here uh, with Ben Calverley, the uh, CEO of the British and Irish Lions. Why are we all here today? Well, we're here today because we are making a historic momentous announcements that we have created a Lions women's team. The inaugural tour for that team will be in New Zealand in September 27 
and we think it's one of the biggest stories, the biggest milestones in our 136-year history. Why women's team and why now? Why a women's team and why now? Both good questions. Now, we took our time over this decision. We've done a body of work, actually, that has lasted for about two years or so that went through various phases because we are very clear that we're one part of the rugby ecosystem. We're a very new part now of the women's rugby ecosystem and we wanted to make decisions that were the, in the best interests of the women's game as well as the Lions. So we ran a multi-phase process. It started with a feasibility study at the back end of 21. That was overseen by a panel that was made up of players and coaches and administrators and commercial partners, the conclusion of which was that Alliance Women's Tour is feasible from a commercial standpoint, but also in terms of the level of appetite from fans and, and players and broadcasters and so on. We then spoke to a number of different countries around the world, and the good news there is that there was lots of interest in terms of hosting the Lions, and we ran a selection process that has resulted in New Zealand being chosen. But then really importantly, we had to work with World Rugby and other stakeholders to make sure we had a slot in the calendar that sees us not overlapping with other competitions and not being in competition for things like player access. So when you add all of that up, that's a lengthy piece of work and we're at the point now where it's all concluded and, and we're making the announcement. That due process is obviously we've done very, very well with players, as you say. Unions really, really enthusiastic uh, about it, and all of them. I mean, I suspect England would be, but, but the, other, the other home unions as well? Yeah, unanimously supportive. In fact, all of the four fully behind us. So, so, of course, on our board, we have representation from each of the four shareholder unions, but on our feasibility study working group, we had the leads in terms of the women's game in each of those four countries, and they were extraordinarily helpful. Very supportive, of course, but want to make sure that we're making decisions that are in the best interest of the women's game. And that means they have to be uh, sensible in terms of the context of what's happening in the broader women's game. So it was really helpful to have those home, that home union representation to make sure that we got things right. But the level of support from them has been incredibly high. Great. Good to hear. Just a, cu a couple more for me. You're, you're a busy man, and hopefully there's some slightly different questions from, from me. But with, with the women's game and... and, and the media bunch within this country, um, and there has been quite a lot of negative reaction. Well, we're just copying the men and what have you. Is is the footprint, is sorry, the, the blueprint for the women's lines exactly the same as the men's, or is there another path to follow? There's another path to follow entirely, which is dead, which is dictated to by what's right for the women's game. So there are certain elements that are baked into the Lions DNA that we do want to retain, whether it's a men's tour or a of women's course. tour. So for example, we want it to be a tour overseas. We want to travel around a country and have high community impact. We want there to be a test series against a single nation opposition. So we're not talking about a tournament style involving multiple countries. And we want this to be best versus best, right? These are the best players in the world competing against each other. Apart from that, everything else is up for grabs, right? So there's a blank sheet of paper in terms of location, format, number of matches, when tours happen, and, and so on. And so I could see a situation in the future where we're touring and visiting very different countries. We absolutely aren't following the rotation system that applies to the men because they wouldn't necessarily be the right countries for the women's team to be competing against. And if you just speculate for a moment about which are the types of countries that could be interesting to us in the future, well, let's think about France, mm. right? 
extraordinary opportunity. Now, that wasn't right for us in 27 because we think New Zealand gives us that best of best, back-to-back world champions and, and so on. But France in the future could be really compelling. You look at North America and they're hosting back-to-back World Cups for the men and the women in 31 and 33. So let's see what that landscape looks like by then. But there could be a nice opportunity to dovetail. But the key point I'm making here is that, no, we're not following the men's template. This is being driven by what's right for the women's game. And we could be in all sorts of different territories in the future. Uh, And as an organisation, did you feel a women's team was was needed or wanted? Or what what was the sort of balance within your group? both I and mean, we thought it was the right thing to do first yeah. and foremost right that was our starting point that we've existed for 136 years and there hasn't been alliance women's team i think people felt uncomfortable about that so in terms of from a moral standpoint we thought it was the right thing to offer alliance women's proposition we then though had to as i said before speak to a whole range of different people because we are one part of the game of rugby and everybody needs to be behind us, needs to back us, needs to support us and we need to find ways that we can make sure we're using the Lions women's team for the growth of the game as a whole. So that was our starting point but as we went through the journey we realised the level of support for this, yes from the unions, from New Zealand Union as well of course, but also from the players who were telling us they wanted this to happen, from the fans who were telling us they wanted this to happen, and from our commercial partners, which is crucial because this has to be commercially sustainable. The more you go through that process, the the more that you you realise that it's not just the Lions that wants this to happen. There's a whole raft of other bodies and people who are just as enthusiastic as we are. Ben, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Johnny. Perhaps we'll put together a Lions debate pod um, with a few different views because... Even after this announcement, there's plenty of sort of negativity knocking around. I just want to give just just briefly my thoughts, if I may, and having been in church of the women's game for a good couple of decades and beyond, what I think came out of being at that uh, launch, and especially talking to to Jan Evans, so so passionate. Uh, about about the Lions and having spent a lot of time with him, and I know that is a genuine genuine passion. It's 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 the pinnacle, and and talking to the players and what have you that that were there, yeah, they really do see it as the pinnacle of British and Irish rugby. It is the biggest brand of rugby on the planet. It will shine a light on women's rugby. Um, and and the more light on women's rugby, the better. This is a big brand, some big big proper sponsors who want to get involved. Well, it's box ticking or not, and women's rugby, you know, full well uh, across the board, whether that be broadcasting, presenting, um, playing, all the rest of it. There's a there's a lot of box ticking, but I suspect this will be a success. WXV in New Zealand wasn't great; marketing was terrible, etc., etc. I think when the Lions come to town, um, I think the NZRU step up, uh, and I don't think that that will be uh, a problem. And they are. The you know, the current world champions, back to back world champions, and may not be when the Lions get there, but starting at, at the best, and then it's a black canvas. Why not a, a North America? Why not a France? Um, so I think following the men, because the men's team have won, would there be a Lions 
women's team if there wasn't a men's. Well, the same can be said for for the Barbarians, of course. Which and Fiona Sockley has done an incredible job with the Barbarians, and that has been praised from top to bottom. I, I just don't see a great deal of difference be, between the two, and I don't think it's the British and Irish Lions' responsibility to fund parts of the game that that union should be. That's not their responsibility. I don't think we can build the game slowly, steadily uh, across the board in every correct way possible and make the leagues professional and, and then we can move to the next step. When these opportunities come, and we're, we're talking 2027 and then another four years on beyond for that, for, for a nation to for a nation to make sure that they are ready for that kind of level of competition. And I also think it, it will put pressure especially on the on the home unions um, and the likes of Australia South Africa who want to host the Lions you know how much good would it do to to get up to to Canada uh, and play USA and Canada on on the next tour Uh, and it'll put pressure on those unions I think um, because a big brand is is fully immersed and and fully committed to a women's Lions tour and the other thing I I will say and you've got a, a real sense of this is they have put the players at the forefront of everything. Yeah, we heard from Neve there. Yeah, putting big girl pants as Sean Brown described it at the launch. You're having those big conversations and non-negotiables. And as long as they keep the players, ex or current, at the forefront of all decisions, then it, 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 it's good for me. I'm Gloria MacDonald and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Let's get back to the English Isles now. Uh, it was PWR round eight. Notable results across the board. We're going to hear from Cleena Maloney in just a second. We're still going to go through these results um, with with Glee. Um, but just officially, Bristol thumped Leicester 50 points to 12. Seven tries they ran in in the first game of 2024. Bonus point in the bag before half-time. Late drama. Katie Treader, decisive try in her second, sealed a 29-26 win for Loughborough Lightning over Harlequins. The African Violets coming back from 19-0 down. 11-try thriller, a rerun of last year's semi-final. I think that was in the minds of Saracens as they beat Exeter 39-26. Close on between Ealing T and Gloucester Hartbury. I have to say Gloucester Hartbury rested a few players. But Ealing T coming away with two points, five tries in a losing bonus point. A spirited second half performance from then. So the table, Saris extend their lead at the top maximum of 35 points from their seven games. Gloucester Hartbury played six on 29. Then Exeter... They have played the full seven on 28. Dropped to 20 points where Bristol sit in the last playoff spot. Lightning on 16. Ealing 13, as are Quinns. Sailing eighth, but only played five games on seven points. Then Leicester on two on a points difference of a minus 186. Points difference at the moment. Saracens are 436 better. Than Leicester. It is a very warm on an exceptionally cold morning. To Cleaner Maloney of uh, of Exeter Chiefs. Good morning, Cleaner. How are you? 
Good, good. Thank you. How are you? Are you managing to keep warm? Yeah, we are. It's not it's not too bad next year. It's it's sunny in the daytime, but freezing freezing in the morning and the evening. It's nice. No, it's nice. No snow yet. No snow. No. No. Is there any snow where you are? No. No. I'm I'm not too not too far away from New Hampshire. Um, but no, no. Sadly, no snow yet. Because uh, we've got a new, new puppy, and I can't. There was a few flakes falling the other day, and oh my word, she loved it. The amusement of watching these flakes. Um, watching Snowfall for the first time. Very sweet. Anyway, enough about me. Congratulations uh, on the engagement. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been lovely. People have been very, very nice about that. And um, yeah, really, really pleased she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and plans coming come, coming, uh, coming together. Music, food, venue. Those seem to remember those are the kind of main ones. Um, yeah. The, well, the most difficult thing is probably date. the rugby calendar, to be honest. Yeah, the date. Um, so still playing around with that. Would like to do it sooner rather than later. Just, uh, but it's 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 a bit difficult. But we don't have, we don't have a date nailed down just yet. So the other ones are quite hard. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. All all the very best of that. It's um, yeah, it's a lovely story. Let, let's get into some some ruggers. Um, you've only been back a, a couple of weeks. Um, how are you finding the the PWR the the rebranded refreshed? on a proper broadcaster kind of league. Yes, yeah, brilliant. Um, obviously, we've always had kind of pretty good support down here in Exeter, but it's definitely a noticeable difference across the board in terms of, obviously, there's the TV following, but then a couple of new teams in there. Um, it's been really, really good. And we've enjoyed playing Leicester and Ealing. Uh, they've been good competitive fixtures, so definitely can't complain from that point of view. It seems to be moving in the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, and Exeter yourselves, um, quite a few... A few changes, um, change at, at 10, at 9, from what you regularly had last season. Um, a big player, big personality, Kate Zachary, uh, has moved on. So a bit of transition. So wh- where are Exeter at and, and are you pleased with kind of where you're at thus far? Yeah, funny, we've been talking about this because we're kind of reaching that, reaching that halfway point in the season anyway, where you would kind of take a little bit of stock about where we are. I think we are pretty pleased, to be honest. There's obviously things that we can work on. And frustratingly, some some of them are things that we've cited that we can work on before. Um, but in terms of what we wanted to do this year, which is kind of be a little bit more less predictable, I guess, I think we're kind of getting there and we're, we're working towards those things. But obviously, as people know, usually quite structure-based. So, um, yeah, just been a little bit more explorative, um, particularly with new players coming in and fresh ideas and, and wanting to get the best out of I guess, everyone that might potentially be on the field at any given time. I spoke to Susie just when she was firing things up and she was even more harem scare um, trying to trying to pull a, a, a team together. But but just saying, once people get down to extra, the quality of life is a massive selling point. And it seems, you know, when you, you chip through social media and whatever, you fully, fully tuck in on the way of life down next. So you're always down at the beach having barbecues and and all the rest of it. It's, that's a massive appeal now for Exeter, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, it's not necessarily that far away from everywhere else, but we tend to have quite a few people from overseas or people who have moved to England to play rugby in general. So um, I think when people are down here, they really buy into the social aspects. So we do spend a lot of time time together as a team you know generally people's families are actually quite far away and they're away from home anyway so even for example Christmas day we were down here and there was loads of us down at the beach 
having oysters and lighting fire, listening to Christmas songs in the morning. And then we went and did our separate things in the afternoon. But it was it's a really, really nice thing to be able to do. And actually, all of the things that we enjoy are free, you know, just being outside and being in each other's company. And yeah, it is really nice. It's particularly pleasing after I was obviously in London for four years, which is lovely in its own way. And it offers lots of other opportunities to do amazing things and see everything London has to offer and go to theatre and go to loads of free events there too. But I think it's a little bit more um, definitely appealing to me to be outside more. You know, you've got Dartmoor on your doorstep, you've got beaches. Um, The locals down here are very willing to help out and they just love rugby. So kind of anywhere you go, you get get a warm welcome around Devon. No, absolutely. Um, Yeah, lovely part of the world. And um, you didn't even mention the cider. Um, <laughs> let's get back into um, some 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 ruggers. A um, couple of losses uh, that would be to losses champs and um, last weekend to to Saracens thirty nine twenty six. Why did you lose those two games? Um, I think both of them were hugely dependent on the kick battle, which you know we unfortunately. We probably didn't really do what we set out to do pre-game. Um, and if you lose the kick battle against both, both those teams have exceptional players. That's important to mention first. I mean, Gloucester with Clakey this year, they seem to have discovered a new level, um, I think, in terms of their kicking and their kicking ability. And she's she's a fantastic player. I hugely admire her and her ability, not only to put the ball where she wants to, but to be able to find the space as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a really hard task to to manage when you play against them. And I think Saracens did it really, really well against us too. And we were just, it's just that little game management piece again, isn't it? You know, understanding when the momentum is with us and when it's with them, how to slow the game down, where we should be kicking the ball, how we should be managing their kick space. Um, things like that, I think, that probably are a bit of a constant work on for us, but um, we're definitely getting there. We're definitely moving in the right direction. So. O- obvious fixes. I mean, quick fixes, whatever the terminology you, you you want to to use. But but things you've identified fairly clearly that you know you can fix come come the shake up at, at the end of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, obviously, there's other bits and pieces in it too. I mean, it's always hard. It's hard to play Saris when they're at home. Um, it's hard to talk to the referees when when you've got Saris at home. <laughs> um, well, you can't like get away in edge raise. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um they're a vocal team let's leave it there yeah yeah but like uh, 39 26 um it was um i mean seeing a, a kind of a, a natural kind of top three and then there's this really nice battle for kind of fourth oh yeah potentially third sort of bubbling bubbling away um is that how you guys are seeing it too i mean i know bristol been very very vocal they've always been been out saying must get a home home semi-final because just look at the stats you you you, know, you don't lose a home semi-final um it, it what's what was the aim pre-season was there uh top four top two go and win the thing yeah i think the aim this season was probably a little bit more outcome focused to be honest with you and more um right. kind of how we manage the process during the season how we learn how we develop can we take the spaces and the opportunities game on game that are presented to us and I think obviously inevitably that would lead to success um but we're less looking at the the finish line this year I think and more how we manage each game 
as it comes. And probably, yeah, the Gloucester, the Gloucester one, we, we can't lie about that. The Gloucester game and the, particularly the Gloucester at home. Um, Sarri's away, you kind of are always, you know, on the back foot before you even go there. But Gloucester at home, we would have really liked to win that one. Um, and they're probably two of the biggest things we'll bring forward to the next the next round of fixtures. Yeah. But, I mean, but you fought back incredibly well uh, against Gloucester, didn't you? And for the bounce of a rugby ball, um, it was mere Venom, wasn't it? Uh, down that left-hand side. Yeah. Um, an incredible bounce of the ball. So, yeah, look, um, yeah, I understand you want to keep, keep that home record. Smash Quinns, of course. Uh, you've beaten Loughborough uh, and Leicester on on the way. Uh, Trail Finders women. Uh, Ealing T, we're calling me on the women's rugby pod. Um, <laughs> I can't get my head around calling them a, a travel company. Anyway, um, you got a week off now. What, what, um, what's the plans? Are you have a, a lighter training session as soon as you said, go and have a few days off, go and enjoy the beach? Yeah, we had Monday off. Um, we'll train Tuesday, Thursday as normal. And then we've got a lot of girls. We've got some under 20s in camp this week. And then there's a couple of girls going into England camp next week, obviously. Um, so you kind of end up missing people a little bit from both weeks, obviously, and then it comes a little bit disjointed. But we've we've got a refixture against Sale next weekend, the one that was uh, postponed earlier on in the year because right. of the because of the weather, the weather which is back again. So who knows? <laughs> who knows what will happen this time? Um, but yeah, we're kind of in preps for that, and then obviously hoping that everyone goes into camp and comes out of camp alive, which is always the biggest worry, I think, for Susie. Yes, sale up next. What 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 have you made um, of 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 sale? Just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on on the other other teams, um, if I may. Um, yeah, it, it, tough old bunch. A couple of good signings. Um, unfortunately, with a, a couple of injuries, but seems to be very up and down. Yeah, I think they've changed their they've changed their squad quite a lot, dependent on home and away to meet EQP criteria, I believe. Um, and they have got some excellent new signings. I mean. The two Italians to mention, first of all, have been, I think they've been very, very good for them. Um, Sylvia, or not Sylvia, um, Sarah Tarani, isn't it? And uh, Yeah, Sarah Tarani, yeah. Sarah Tarani and Rigoni. Beatrice yeah. Rigoni, yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know what Rigoni can do, but um, Sarah Tarani has been an absolute, she's been an absolute battering ram for them defensively. She's been nailing people left, right and centre. Um, and she's made some really good breaks. You know, she kind of played that style of heads up rugby. Um, I think Moz, Moz Halling has played really, really well for them. Um, Vicky Irwin has played very well in the pack when she's played. Um, yeah, they've got some very good players. Obviously, Katana's there as well. She's always she's always been kind of a, a staple for them, getting good go-forward ball off set piece. Um, and they're difficult to play at home if the pitch isn't frozen. <laughs> no, no, no. They are. That'd be a bit, bit tough trip. Look, kind of referencing back to, to last weekend, Loughborough had a, a dramatic old win um, against Harlequins at the Stoop. Um, is it worrying times for Harlequins? Uh, I don't know. It's 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 difficult to say. Obviously, they've lost they lost Bella McKenzie. She went back home, um, which is difficult for them. I mean, she would have been in that kind of 10-12 position, running the show. Um, obviously, she's gone back home for personal reasons and you can't take that away from any player. Um, but it is a little bit it is a little bit troubling for them to try and move forward. Burf is still there, but, you know, they kind of probably need someone as well outside of that to run the show. You can't just have, a, you can't just have one playmaker kind of in the back line. Um, 
they do some really, really nice things and they've got some really, really good players. It it probably is a little bit a little bit worrying, but I wouldn't be overly concerned. They've put in some they've put in some good good performances. Um it's probably just a style of play that they're playing that isn't really suiting the players that are there, maybe, or I'm not too sure. But um a brilliant win for Loughborough nonetheless. Yeah, and quite often with with, with Loughborough, although they're under new management, um they do grow through 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 the season, but that that is a that is a landmark victory for them. May well be a a, a bit of a, a springboard for Sardia and the and the gang. Yeah, absolutely. And they just mentioned Loughborough, they've got some exceptional players as well. Sardia's obviously been there a little while, Helen Rowland, you know, they've got really good, talented players that they've had quite a long time. And obviously things have changed with um their style of play and their in their management too. But They've always been a team that I very much enjoy playing. It's purely about the rugby when you go up there, when they come down. And, you know, they're just, they're just good, honest players, um, talented people as well. Indeed so. Uh, Leicester went down, um, another loss for them, not not able to scrape a win thus far. Um, what are you made of um, the, the, the Tigers up in the Midlands? Yeah, I think... Um, when we when we went up to them first game of the league, they were actually they, they proved quite difficult to play. Yep. They kind of had this rumbling around the corner and a nine jumping out of a nine jumping out of the rock and playing whoever she saw fit. And then obviously you've got Meg Jones to worry about, <laughs> which is which is never good. Um, I thought they'd do some really nice stuff, and I think Meg picks the space very well. Um, they've got some really good signings. You know, Lucy Nye is obviously there. She's played a lot of rugby. We've played a lot with her at Wasps and her and May kind of know each other quite well. They've got some experienced players, but I think they're they're moving forward. It's definitely better than where we were, like not to discredit DMP or any of those other teams, but it's moving in the right direction in terms of competition and in terms of teams being a challenging um a, a challenging fixture. And when it's only their first year and they're probably in a difficult place to recruit. Um, I think I think they're doing quite well to be honest. They obviously have some injuries yeah, too. They're missing Amy Cocaine, which is huge. And when they get her back, that will that will kind of really solidify their pack, and she'll be able to lead a lot in terms of their set piece and how they want to play. Ealing, um, far more competitive, but 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 really, yeah, quite a surprise at the level they're getting to, as you say, kind of literally months into playing together as a uh, as a team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've got they've got some players that obviously they've got, got a couple of old waspies who I know pretty well, but they've got some very good players. They've also got some very good signings. I think um, Julia Shell, the thirteen, she's been the Canadian thirteen. She's been playing very very well for them. Obviously got Kate Zachary there. Um, they've got Andrea Stock, who's been playing prop for them, and an Irish eligible girl who we did play with a little bit at Wasp, but she's really come into her own. She was probably never. Um, she did play a couple of premiership games, but she was never, you know, in the right place to play those games when we were all together at Wasp. But she's now kind of really owning that shirt and she's getting good minutes. She's perform- performing really, really well under Giselle. Um, I think they're playing a nice style of rugby. They're definitely very annoying to play against. You've got Roe Burnfield getting all over your ball, uh, right through the middle of your malls and knocking everyone over, which is you know exactly what Roe does and we all love her for it. That's right. Yeah. Now to worry about in the backfield. So um yeah, they've got a good team and they've got they've definitely got the right person for those formative years over them in Giselle, I think. Yeah. Um and yeah, we're 
We're lucky with the uh, obviously situation none of us wanted to to, to see, but lucky with the uh, with the Worcester situation grabbing a, a couple of players. You know, possibly um, Ellie Green in there. Um, Bristol, um, yeah, they they beat Tigers at the weekend, fifty odd fifty odd points. They they seem to for me. You please correct me. Um, when they're on the front foot, they're they're exceptional. When things or pictures aren't quite how they seem, um, the nuts and bolts just come a little loose. Yeah. Um, I think against very organised defences who understand or have a grasp on how Bristol want to play, which is it's obviously quite deep. Um, they don't kick a lot or hadn't been kicking a lot unless that is, you know, is going to change drastically. Um and if you can understand where they want to get the ball to and maybe have really good defensive discipline, they, they do struggle a little bit, um, particularly if you've pinned them in their own half or even inside their own 22, which is what we did when they came here quite a lot. And then they weren't exiting and then the pressure mounts, the pressure mounts and the pressure mounts. And that's a really hard place to play rugby. We saw that the weekend for ourselves against Saris. I think a key for them, um, a non-negotiable for them, if they're winning, it has to be having Amber Reid on the pitch, I think, the the stuff inside and outside of that doesn't really function if she's not there. Um, so, you know, we were quite lucky, unlucky for her, but lucky that she wasn't playing in the fixture that we had down here against them. So I think she really is key to what they're trying to do. And when they do it in the right way, she's usually on the pitch. Yeah, all those um, intangible things that uh, players like her and Amy Kane that we, we spoke about earlier bring to a side. Um, who's winning it, head and heart? You can have two answers. Heart, obviously, extra. Yeah. Hmm. Who's just, John, that's it. That is tough. What's your top four? Well, no, I, I can tell you, head right now. Like, I, I know that we will improve, but if you're asking me right now, based on performances, as you know, um, without can getting silly about it, it would be it would be Gloucester. I think Gloucester, Gloucester play Saracens this weekend, don't they? They do. Yeah. Yeah. And unless something goes drastically wrong, I would expect Gloucester to win that game, to be honest. They and that are. kind of gives me the answer of where if where if where teams are at right now is taken as the final, I think Gloucester would win it. I think by the end of the year we will be in a position to win it. Um and then top four, I think it'll be us, Gloucester, Saracens, probably Bristol. Um and I do expect them, particularly winning against uh, Leicester you know, with a 50-point margin, I do expect them to kick on and kind of further develop how they're playing, I guess. Um, if they retain, particularly if they retain all their players from Six Nations. Yeah, big big game for them this weekend. Um, against Harlequins. Um, down in Bristol. Um, as you say, Gloucester Harper against Saracens. Uh, eating tea, travel to Loughborough. Which is the live game, and then it's sale against Leicester. So some significant fixes this weekend in terms of can Loughborough back it up, can can Bristol back it up, can can Quinns wrestle a performance, um, yeah. sale big game for them, can can Leicester grab something, um, big old weekend. Uh, you'll be sat with your feet up, will you, with a a rich tea and a, and a cup of tea. <laughs> there are yeah, other biscuits really, available. Uh, sorry. There are other biscuits available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I think 
the pick of that match, the pick of those games, obviously you've got the big dogs, you know, you've got uh, Saracens and, and Gloucester going head to head, which would be an intriguing watch. But I think the most enjoyable watch for the spectator or like the most the most exciting fixture will be the, the Loughborough Ealing Trailfinders game. I think that will be a very exciting game based on, you know, Loughborough kind of on the front foot now. They'll be very excited about their win from last week. And I think Ealing play a style of rugby that it's always exciting to watch. You've got Abby Dow there and you've got kind of a couple of other key players. I think that will be a really good game. Or it, it definitely, I would I would anticipate it being a very good game to watch. Good stuff. And if we just finish up, because I think so much of your 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 time already, um, you can go take um, her indoors a, a cup of coffee in bed in, in a second. But um, let's just get a, a couple more answers. We'll chat about the... the the Lions um, sort of announced yesterday that the women's Lions team um, will tour New Zealand 2027. Mixed, um, I'd say, yeah, mixed, mixed reaction to, to that, um, certainly amongst the, 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 the media types. You'd love to go and put a red shirt and play in New Zealand for the Lions, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. Um and admittedly, I haven't read the feasibility study or the the study that was undertaken, so I can't comment fully. I don't know if you've if you've read it or if it's available for public to read. Um, but I do have. I probably would hold some of the same concerns that have been voiced. You know, I think Ali Donnelly has worded it quite well um, when she's when she's put pen to paper on Twitter, albeit. Um, it does kind of frustrate players when suit is just followed for the sake of following suit it feels like and whether it be advancements or restrictions you know a lot of people feel the same way about things like EQP you know or the salary cap you're limiting us and you're 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 putting capacity on us before we've even started moving properly yet I I think and this is one thing that's it's almost the other way it's um it's an advancement before I think it actually has a reason for being there and or even in the exact same way as the men's, it could look at completely differently. You know, we could have French players involved. We could have Canadian players involved. They're really, really exciting women's rugby players that could be involved and that could have this opportunity and we could do it in a, a really special way. Um, but I, I guess I also still understand the the franchise or the name that is the British and Irish Lions and what that means. So yeah, it is very exciting, but I do I do understand the other side of the argument. No, I know I, I don't don't disagree with you. Um, you, you, you could name that the barbarians is a carbon copy of the of the men's as well, and that's always been received incredibly positively. Um, the Lions, for me, one of the biggest teams, certainly the biggest Robbie Brown on the planet. Um, do you not think it'll? Sort of grease the wheels and actually, well, not grease the wheels, actually put pressure on unions to say, well, they're doing this and there's some investment in pathways that is going alongside the, the British and Irish lines. I think that's important to say. Um, but it actually force the unions to to catch up with, with England. It's not the, the large responsibility to, to do that. But if they want to get involved and give a great experience for, for women and what have you, and there's a blank, blank piece of paper after New Zealand to, to, to go wherever the women feel they want to. Um, do you not think it'll put, put sort of slightly more pressure to, to fill in the gaps, as it were? Because that, that's kind of, 
in layman's terms what we're talking about here, isn't it? Backfill. Yeah, I think I think it might do. I think we've thought that though in the past with a lot of other things like the WXV might put pressure on certain unions to, you know, tie their shoelaces and get moving. We've thought that about the last World Cup and the criteria around qualification that might put pressure on unions to get moving. And unfortunately, we've kind of been wrong, I think, to be honest, on on a lot of those counts. I think, unfortunately, the only way to really make some unions move is to hit them where it hurts and you hit them in the pocket or you hit them with the sponsors or you hit them with, you know, if you don't do this, this affiliate is leaving or this sponsor is not going to be involved anymore. You know, it's those types of things that really... Money talks at the end of the day. Um, momentum is brilliant, but I think money is the real sickener. There we go. We we could go on a long, long time having yeah. this this conversation. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I get I, I get both sides. I having been in the room yesterday, and um, I know Yarn Evans very well um, from doing lots of work with him over the years. Um, and Ben Cowley, I there was a there was a genuine knowledge that the you players have to be at the center of everything they do um and i, I thought that was very very genuine and it, and if that's the case and that go, plays out then um I, I think it's um it's certainly done for the right reasons um anyway um understandably don't want to talk about ireland i think it's a yeah, obviously quite a sensitive subject um i will though say on behalf of Every women's rugby fan, we would love to see you back in the in the green of Ireland, and we we long for that day because you have an outstanding season thus far. Um, enjoying your ruggers, um, engaged, and all the rest of it. So yeah, fingers crossed for, from everyone from women's rugby, um, and in the nicest possible way. But um, this morning, thank you so much. Um, enjoy the the rest of your your week, and thanks so much for coming on the WRP. Well, thank you, Johnny. It's been a pleasure. I'm Sarah Hunter, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Just great to hear from Cleena Maloney. Yeah, do hope she can get back in that green shirt very, very soon. Uh, perhaps a red one in 2027, who knows? PWR Round 9 fixes this weekend, 1pm on Saturday, Bristol hosts Harlequins. Another huge clash on TNT. Speak with that in a second. Gloucester Harbury take on league leaders Saracens. Same time, Ealing Trailviners travel to Loughborough Lightning. And on Sunday, it's the bottom two going head-to-head sale against Leicester. The cameras are due to be at uh, at Northampton, at um, the Frankers Gardens for Loughborough taking on Ealing Trailfinders. Haven't been able to guarantee that the pitch will be playable. There's parts of that pitch that um, you never get any sunlight and I can't guarantee that. Love have moved it to a, an artificial pitch, um, but TNT took the decision to move the broadcast to Gloucester Harbury against Saracens, which, if we're all honest, is the game of the weekend, isn't it? Uh, be fascinating to see who comes out on top on that one. In other domestic news, the Celtic Challenge results from round three. On Saturday, Glasgow Warriors were beaten at Scottstown by the Wolfhounds, 12 points to 40. The rest of the fixtures were on Sunday. The Clovers won a tight one at Musgrave Park, 19-17 over Gwalia Lightning. And Britain Thunder and Edinburgh played out a cracking game at Parky Scarlets. The Scottish side coming out on top, 22 points to 17. 
So the table looks like this. Wolfhounds bounding ahead on 14 points. Gwalior and Edinburgh on those two wins each have 10 points each. Clover also won twice but on nine points. Then Thunder and Glasgow. Next round of the Celtic Challenge fixes on the 27th of January with Gwalior hosting Edinburgh. Clover's travel to Glasgow and Wolfhounds are up at Brith on Thunder. On to international news. China have won the opening round of the World Rugby HSBC Sevens Challenger Series in Dubai. China beat Kenya 19-5 in the final with Argentina picking up the bronze. The second round is in March the 8th and the 10th in Montevideo. The Spanish-Italian High Performance Series got underway last weekend, a competition jointly created by World Rugby and the two nations' unions. The idea to increase the opportunities to players outside of the sort of mainstream, as it were, increasing that depth across the nations. Spain's Iberian Sieges and Iberian's Valencia took on Italy's Zebra Parma and Benetton Treviso Rugby. Palmer went down 19-13 to Iberian Stiges and Benetton were victorious at 19-12 over Valencia. The teams meet again in February. Palmer against Stiges, Benetton Treviso against Valencia. Over to Fiji and they have announced former Fiji captain Moses Raului, the scrum half, you remember, head coach of the Fijiana Drua women and the Fijiana 15s team. He was already involved in Super W competition with Queensland Reds and assistant coach of the Fiji 15s at the last World Cup. Joining him, Salita Koroiaya as team manager and as personal development manager and as personal development manager, Akonasi Dorosuna. And how refreshing is it to have big public appointments like these highlighting the importance of player welfare and personal growth and development that wraps up a, another week of your weekly women's rugby pod here every week. Bringing you all the news afresh and as it comes. Now in between recording this and editing this pod, the uh, Red Roses squad for the Six Nations has been announced. We will reflect on that next week. Just too much going on this week with the Lions and uh, that great chat with Cleena Maloney. few shout-outs. Lottie Clap. Literally... A big clap for Lottie Clap. 150 up for Saracens. A, an incredible servant. And I was talking to Saracens media man, Harry, um, this week. And just, yeah, everybody's singing her praises. What an incredible foil she is for yeah, the likes of uh, Marley Packer and what have you as, as co-captain. But yeah, 150 up for Lottie. Well done to you. Fellow Saracens, Georgia Evans notched up 50. As did Holly Phillips of Bristol and Fred Orkin of Harlequins. Congrats all. Lynn Cantwell was inducted to the Rugby Writers of Ireland Hall of Fame. Enough said? Well, I mean, any awards thrown Lynn's way are more than deserved. Truly outstanding lady, professionally and personally. Part of that Irish cohort with the likes of Fiona Coughlin and Joe Neville, who is also in the news this week. It's her last season of officiating. Don't worry, we don't lose her. Um, thankfully, she's staying in the game finding, guiding and, and training the next wave of officials. Lastly, a big thank you to Tom and to Vicky. Hope you enjoyed the pod. Thank you to Ben Calverley, the CEO of the Lions, to Jan Evans, the chairman, 
Neve Briggs and Megan Gaffney on that steering committee for the Lions. And of course, to Exeter's cleaner Maloney. Whatever you're doing over the weekend, watch some ruggers. Stay warm. See you next week. <laughs>